For those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Very simple verse, and yet it is chock full of deep spiritual theological implication. Because to be in the flesh, as we have talked about in the past few verses, and for those who are new or just joining us, we are going through the eighth chapter of Romans, verse by verse, one verse every Sunday, and I invite you all to memorize Romans with me, because that's what I'm doing, because uh, we're doing one verse a week, and so if you memorize one verse a week for the next 30 weeks, you'll have memorized an entire chapter Romans. But anyway, as we have talked about, to be in the flesh means to set the mind on the flesh. That's what we read in verse 6. And to set the mind on the flesh, what that means is that the orientation of life, the trend of our existence, <clears throat> the natural carrying on in our lives is towards the flesh. And what Paul means by the flesh, he means sinful flesh. He means that the general trajectory of the human condition is towards sin. And what sin is, as Paul encapsulates in the first chapter of Romans, as he says in Romans 1.25, sin is the exchanging of the truth about God for a lie. And what is that lie? The big lie is this, that serving the creature will satisfy you more than serving the creator. Serving the creature will satisfy you more than serving the creator. What is the creature? The creature is us. We are the creature. And as creatures living and walking and trajecting towards sinful flesh, we are serving, as creatures, other creatures, other creations. And we are saying to ourselves, we are lying to ourselves, that serving these things and serving ourselves and living for the sake of ourselves and for our own pleasure is going to satisfy us. Our natural, sinful, fleshly inclination is to serve ourselves and to be pleasing to ourselves. But here is the thing. The problem of sinful pleasure, because we all, we're all looking for pleasure. We're all looking to please ourselves. And another way to think about this is we're all looking to be happy. We're all looking to be happy. We all want to be happy. And we look for things and we search after things that are going to make us happy. And the general trajectory of our life is that because I want to be happy. And we convince ourselves that it is the things of earth and the things that are created that is going to achieve that for me. Why are we all in college? Because we have convinced ourselves that if we pay buku bucks to, and throw it at Johnny Holloway, all right, and we'll get a degree, and then, you know, and so, so we, we study our asses off and, and we're grinded, and then we graduate with that degree. And with the degree, we can maybe get a job in like the 70K range, unless you're John Chow, you're making, anyway, <laughs> all right, you're making, all right, and then, and then, all right, and then I'm gonna start climbing the ladder and then I'll get to six figures and then I'll get to six and a half figures and then I'll, maybe I'll hit seven. And then, 
and then I'll get a house, and then I'll get married, and then I'll have kids. <clears throat> All of these things uh, in pursuit of things that are going to make me happy. And here is the thing. The problem of sinful pleasure is not the pleasure itself. The problem of sinful pleasure is not the pleasure itself. I'm not here saying to you that it's wrong or you should feel bad about wanting things. You should feel bad about other things that make you happy. You shouldn't feel bad about it. The problem is not the pleasure itself, but it's the orientation of that pleasure. It's the direction of that pleasure. It's the trend of that pleasure. Because what do we read here? We read that those who are in the flesh cannot please God. The implication is then that God himself is and can be pleased, right? God also seeks after pleasure. God himself wants to be happy. And so we know that happiness, we know that pleasure is not in and of itself a bad thing because God himself is and can be pleased. In 1 Timothy 1, Paul speaks of the gospel. We all hear the gospel, right? He speaks of the gospel in these terms. It's the gospel of the glory of the blessed God. That's the gospel. The gospel of the glory of the blessed God, 1 Timothy 1.11. Another way to translate blessed, which is the same blessed that they use in the Beatitudes, right? Blessed are the poor in spirit, blessed are the meek, right? Is the word happy. Happy, pleased. So what is Paul saying? He's saying the gospel is of the glory of the happy God. The glory of the pleased God. A great part of God's glory is his happiness. A great part of God's glory is his pleasure. Because glory, see, see Paul, when he thinks about God, and when the Bible speaks about God, it cannot separate God's glory from God's happiness, God's glory from God's pleasure. Because glory both in a divine and an earthly sense, glory cannot exist without pleasure. Glory cannot exist without happiness. I don't know if you guys, uh, just, I know you guys don't follow baseball, right? But uh, just a couple, maybe, was it a day ago? Yes, it was a day ago. The Seattle Mariners were down eight runs to one in the eighth inning. If you know it. That just means they're losing by a lot, and the game's almost over. And they complete the comeback in one inning. They score, uh, they score eight runs in one inning. And this is the, the greatest comeback in uh, baseball playoff history, right? Uh, in that short of a span, that many runs. And you see, they weren't playing in Seattle, but they had a camera in Seattle, in, the, in, the, in their ballpark. And you see, when, when they finally take the lead, you just see all of these people jumping up and down, high-fiving, and you just, it's just a glorious scene. Why? Because they are filled with joy. They are filled with happiness. <clears throat> I don't know if you've ever been to a concert, like one of those big production concerts, right? Those things are glorious. 
music's blasting, lights are flashing, everyone's got the diamonds up, you know what I mean? And it's a glorious scene. Why is it glorious? It's because everyone is participating and sharing in a joyous, happy moment. Unless it's like an emo rap concert, then I guess everyone's crying. Um, think about, I mean, one, I mean, I hope you can imagine one day if you ever have children, right? Why is the birth of a child, why is that a glorious thing? Well, it's because uh, you're never going to experience that level of happiness ever in your life. And that's why that glory, the glory of childbirth is, cannot exist without the happiness of childbirth, right? For all that pain, for all that struggle, for all the nausea that we go through, um, and you finally pop it out, there is no greater glory, there is no greater happiness that we can achieve on a human level, in my opinion. Uh, think about everything else that makes you happy. Why does it make you happy? It's because it's glorious. And think about everything in your life that is glorious. Why is it glorious? It's because it makes you happy. Or you can partake in the happiness with other people. The highest pleasures of our life coexist with the greatest glories. And the gospel, the gospel of Jesus Christ, that he died and that he saved us from our sins. Gospel is good news. It's good news. Because the gospel joins us to God and because God is both infinitely glorious and infinitely happy. The gospel is good news because God is infinitely glorious and infinitely happy. If, because what, would, what is the point of the gospel? What is the point of knowing God and being united to God and having a relationship to God if he is not happy? If anything, that's really bad news. A God who is not happy is not a God you want to be with. And yet he is happy. And his happiness, his pleasure, ultimately, is in glorifying and enjoying himself. God's greatest pleasure is being pleased in the greatest and most glorious thing, which is himself. You might be saying, hey, that sounds kind of conceited. That sounds kind of egotistical. God, God is most happy when he's glorifying himself? You can think about it this way. Um, it's you can, you can only be egotistical and full of yourself if you cannot match up to that ego and to that arrogance, right? You know, like, uh, this could be another baseball reference, but uh, Jacob deGrom, best pitcher for the Mets yesterday, he was, he was slinging, right? And, uh, <clears throat> you know, when you're, when you're in competition with another player, you, you know, things can get heated. And Jacob DeGrom throws like a 100-mile-an-hour pitch, and it moves, right? That's the craziest thing about this guy. 100 miles an hour, this ball, it doesn't go straight. It moves while going. It's 100 miles. All right, anyway. So Manny Machado standing there, strikes out on this insane pitch. It goes 100 miles an hour, guys, and it moves, right? He strikes out. Can't even be mad. He's like, good pitch. <laughs> and then he walks back to the dugout, Right? Now, I'm not saying Jacob deGrom is God. I'm saying that pitch is God-given, okay? But 
um, God cannot be egotistical because he is the only being in the universe that can match up to his own, to his own reputation, to his own ego, I guess you could say, to his own thoughts of himself. God is, God can take pleasure in himself because he truly is the most glorious being, because he truly is the source of the greatest and most pure joy and happiness in all of creation, and he is above creation. And the gospel is this, that we are invited to join in God's pleasure by glorifying him. God takes the greatest pleasure in glorifying himself. And he invites us to join in that pleasure by glorifying God. You see, the problem of sinful pleasure is not the pleasure itself, but it is its orientation, its direction, and its trend. The problem of sinful pleasure is that it seeks pleasure here when it should be seeking pleasure in the glories of of God, the glories of God that are, are infinite, that are eternal, that are never-ending, that are stupendous and enormous. The problem of sinful pleasure is not the pleasure itself. In fact, the problem is that sinful pleasure is not pleasurable enough problem of sinful pleasure, the problem of seeking pleasure in and of ourselves, the problem of seeking pleasure in created things is that it's not pleasurable enough. It will not make you happy enough. It might make you really happy. It might fill you with a lot of joy, but you're still selling yourself short. The pleasure of sin and the pleasures of the flesh, it's really not that much. It's really not that great. We are selling ourselves short when we compare the pleasures of our sinful flesh to the eternal, infinite, enormous glories and pleasures of God. If we are in the flesh, we will never experience the fullness of joy, because our sinful flesh, it either corrupts or it makes small or it makes an idol out of the pleasures that we can experience here on earth. We make good things into God things. We make, or we make good things into straight up bad things. We say, oh, I want to, I want to get married. And this is a great, this is a good thing, a beautiful thing. But then it becomes the obsession of our souls. And if we do not have it, then our world falls apart. And we, we say, am I not good enough? And just, you just go through, go through depression, whatever, right? And we make this good thing that God has given us into a God thing. That we have elevated it to the point where we say, if I don't have this, just, you know, insert whatever, right? Marriage. Uh, your GPA, a job, car, house, whatever. <clears throat> if I don't have this, my life is incomplete. And we, make, we elevate a good thing into a God thing. 
or we just straight up make a good thing into a bad thing, right? Uh, easy example is sex. Sex, good thing. Adultery, bad thing, right? Sex, good thing. Porn, bad thing. But in order to satisfy, we say, oh, if it, if it feels good, it can't be, it can't be wrong. Like, if it feels so right, well, how can it be wrong? I make a good thing into a bad thing. So, we, so if we are in the flesh, we will never experience the fullness of joy that God has intended for us and these created things because we either make the good thing a God thing or we make a good thing a bad thing. And both, both of these directions are less than the glory of God. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God because those who are in the flesh search after, seek after, trend towards things of the flesh. But you look one sentence after, after this, which is going to be part of next week's sermon. Romans 8, verse 9. So you have your Bibles. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If you are in the flesh, you cannot please God. If you are in the flesh, you will never know what it means to be truly happy, to be fully happy, to be truly satisfied, to be truly pleased. But you're not in the flesh. But you're not in the flesh. You are in the spirit. You are not in the... Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. But guess what? You're not in the flesh because you're in the spirit. And if you're in the spirit... You can please God. Yo, sick. You can please God because you are in the Spirit. And if you can please God, that means you can be pleased infinitely and eternally because you can join in God's pleasing uh, and enjoying himself. You can enjoy God in his infinite and eternal glory. If you can be pleased, you will be pleased, and you will be pleased forever, and for uh, you will be pleased forever, infinitely, enormously, greatly, because you are pleased in God. Because to be in the Spirit, you are not in the flesh. No, no, no. You're in the Spirit, and if you're in the Spirit, it means you set your mind on the Spirit. And so, no longer is your orientation, your direction, your trend. No longer is it towards sin. And if you're going towards sin, it means you're going away from God. And if you're going away from God, it means you're going away from the source of your eternal, infinite, great pleasure and joy. But that's not you. No, no, no. You are in the Spirit. Which means your mind is set on the Spirit. And if your mind is set on the Spirit, it means your mind and your life is oriented, directed, trending. Trending, hashtag spirit life. Trend is towards the righteousness and the presence and the pleasures of God. To be in the Spirit, to set our minds on the Spirit, is to seek first and foremost the glory of God. And if we seek after the glory of God, and if we glorify God in our lives, it means we are happy in God. And if we are happy in God, well, there's nothing past that. Because there is no greater happiness than happiness in God. There is no greater satisfaction than to be satisfied in God. I don't know why I keep doing this. Mamma mia. 
Chris Pratt, baby. Okay. And so the question is, if those in the spirit are the ones who can please God, how can we be in the spirit? What's the magic juice for being in the spirit? How can we be in the spirit? In Galatians 3, Paul says, asks this rhetorical question. Galatians 3, 5. Does he who supplies the spirit to you, so here's the spirit, how can we be supplied the spirit? Ooh, tell me. Does he do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith? If you know anything about the book of Galatians, the letter to the Galatians, Paul is actually, he's being really sassy. He's being really like, like sarcastic because he's really pissed off, right? So when he's asking this question, he's saying this. So how do you think, yeah, how do you think you got the Holy Spirit? How do you think you can live with the Spirit? Is it because you think you're a good person? Is it because you did, you followed the law? Like, oh, I didn't, I didn't sleep with another woman. That's not my wife. Oh, so I'm spirit-filled. Oh, I, did, I didn't steal this week. Oh, I'm so spirit-filled. Oh, you, oh you, you think you're such a good Christian? You think that's how you got the Spirit? You dum-dums? No, you didn't get the Spirit by doing the works of the law, by checking off the list of your morality. It's because you heard with faith. It is faith that supplies you with the Spirit of God and the Spirit of life. And he says elsewhere in Ephesians, in Ephesians, he's, not, he's actually pretty happy in Ephesians, right? To the Ephesians, he says this, For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. You're not going to get the spirit of life, the spirit that allows you to experience the greatest of glory and pleasure in God by doing good things, by, by checking off the list of moral deeds, by thinking you're such a good Christian. But it is by faith in what Christ has done. Romans 3, for all have sinned and fall short, fall short of what? The glory of God. And are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Here was ultimate glory. He was ultimate pleasure, ultimate satisfaction, ultimate joy. And no matter how high we try with all the things that we experience here on earth and in our lives and in our relationships, we always are going to fall short of that glory. Because remember, glory and joy are inseparable. But because of what Christ has done, because Christ has justified us by his grace and by his blood, we can live in the spirit. We are in the spirit we can please God because we are in the Spirit. And if we are in the Spirit by faith, oh, be, uh, oh, we, are in the, we can please God because we are in the Spirit. And we are in the Spirit by faith. And our faith is the gift of grace. And the gift of grace justifies us through redemption in Christ Jesus. We can please God because ultimately, of what Jesus Christ has done. We can please God because of what Jesus Christ has done on the cross. And if we can please God, we can be pleased in God. If we can please God and glorify him, 
then by his glory, we ourselves can be pleased. We can experience happiness. We can experience ultimate satisfaction. But how or why is this pleasing to God? Why is us walking in the Spirit? Why is our setting our minds on the things of the Spirit? Why is our orientation, direction, trend towards the, towards the Spirit? Why is it pleasing to God? How can we be so sure? How can we be assured that indeed we make God happy and therefore God can make us happy? How do we know that? How can we be sure of that? And that is why it is so necessary for us as the church to have a robust doctrine of the Trinity. The Trinity. Right? And we, some, you know, we hear the Trinity and we're just like, it makes my head hurt because uh, the Father is God and the Son is God and the Holy Spirit is God, but the Father is not the Son and the Son is not the Holy Spirit and the, Son is, and the Holy Spirit is not the Father, but they're all God and it's one, but three, how? And yet, it is, you don't need to understand the machinations of the Trinity but you do need to understand that there is a Trinity, that God is one God and three persons. And if you can understand the Trinity, you can understand why God can ultimately be happy because of you, right? Because God's, what have we established? God's greatest pleasure is in himself. God's greatest pleasure is glorifying and enjoying himself. And what did I just say? The Father is God. The Son is God. The Holy Spirit is God. That means the Father's pleasure is first and foremost in his Son. God's pleasure is first and foremost in his Son. God's pleasure is in Jesus, in the glory of Jesus. Remember the transfiguration? Maybe you don't. You know, a couple of his, three of his disciples go up with Jesus to the mountain, and then God just peels back the curtain just a little bit, and Jesus is, he's like bright white, it's like a flashbang. And he's like, oh, I can't see, it's too glorious. And God says, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. And then he shuts the door. And they just see a glimpse of the glory of, God, of Jesus as the son of God. But they also... God also reveals his love and his pleasure in his son through humility, right? Remember when Jesus was baptized, and then the Spirit of God descends like a dove. You know what a dove is? Remember back in the, temp in the temple sacrifices, right? The rich people, they get to sacrifice goats and lambs. And if you're mega rich, you can sacrifice a bull. The poor people, they sacrifice doves. They're pigeons, right? Just go to New York City, just pluck, pluck one off the ground. You're like, that's my sacrifice to God, Okay. And he descends like a humble dove. And so we see God peeling back the curtain and showing the absolute glory and perfection of Jesus, but we also see God's love and pleasure in his son in the humility of Jesus. We see the love and pleasure that God has in Jesus Christ in his divinity and his co-eternality with the Father. In John 17, Jesus prays this, that you loved me before the foundation of the world. That's what, that's what Jesus prays to the Father. You loved me before the foundation of the world. 
going back to John chapter 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. We see the absolute pleasure that God has in his son as they exist eternally together. But we also see the love that God has for Jesus in Jesus' humanity. In Colossians 1.19, in him all the fullness of God, in him the human Jesus, in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. Colossians 1.19, the fullness of God was pleased to dwell in Jesus' humanity. And so when we talk about being saved by grace through faith, that we are saved because we are justified by Jesus. What that means is that we receive the benefits of all that Jesus Christ, all who, everything that he is, in his glory and his humility, in his divinity and his humanity, we receive all of that. All the benefits of the son's relationship with the father is on us when we put our faith in Christ. And if all, the, if, if all the benefits of being, if all the benefits of Christ are on us, and if God is eternally and infinitely pleased in his son, that means that God is infinitely, eternally, greatly pleased in you. Because you are clothed in the righteousness of Christ. We are walking in the Spirit. And to be in the Spirit means we are justified in Christ. And if we are justified in Christ, it means that we're covered by the identity and righteousness of Christ. And if we are clothed in the identity and righteousness of Christ, that means we are pleasing to God. And if we are pleasing to God, that means God can be pleasing to us. It means that we can experience the fullness of joy, the fullness of satisfaction, the fullness of happiness. And so three takeaways, because we're trying to get out of here. First, <clears throat> takeaway should be this, that you should be filled with sorrow. Kind of a left turn there. You should be filled with sorrow. Why? Because nothing in our sinful flesh can please God. Nothing that is inherent to our being, to our ontology, to who we are, can please God. And therefore, in the flesh, in and of ourselves, our capacity for pleasure, our capacity to enjoy things, is diminished. It's corrupted. And I mean pleasure in anything, in music, in sports competition in a book, in a movie, in relationships, sex, like all of these things, the, the pleasure that we can take in these things, it's diminished because of our sinful flesh. And that should fill us with great sorrow. And yet, we should be filled with abundant joy for everything in Christ is pleasing to God. And we are united to Christ. We're in the spirit. We're not in the flesh. We're in the spirit. And that means because we are united to Christ by his justifying work and his Holy Spirit, that we can experience the fullness of joy, fullness of satisfaction, fullness of happiness because we can glory in God the Father. And so, 
pleasure is not sinful. And in fact, let me encourage you to seek after your own pleasure. Why? Because our greatest pleasure, our greatest joy, our greatest happiness is by putting to death the desires of our sinful flesh. To turn away from that orientation, that direction, that trend, and to turn towards the one who can completely satisfy. The Westminster Shorter Catechism that we've been going through, the first question asks us this, what is the chief end of man? The chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. My encouragement to you is this, that perhaps we can glorify God by enjoying him forever. Let's pray. Father God, thank you so much for the pleasures that you reveal to us through your son, Jesus Christ. And it is his blood and his righteousness that covers us so that though we were once walking in our sinful flesh, we no longer have to suppress the fullness of joy that is possible because we are joined together in your son, Jesus Christ. And you have said over and over, it is in your son that you are well pleased. You seek first and foremost your own pleasure and your own glory by glorifying and being pleased in your son. And your son is united to us. And if we are united to your son, then we are united in his pleasure and in his glory. Father God, help us to see that this, there is so much more to this life than our ordinary pleasures and ordinary happiness. Not that these things are not good, but Lord, maybe these things point us towards the greatest joy, the greatest satisfaction that we can have in you. Lord, may our lives be directed towards the glory of God, that by glorifying you, we can experience and know true happiness. For those of us who are struggling with depression or sorrow, May the grace and the gospel of Jesus Christ speak to our hearts, Lord. May we recognize the brokenness of our sinful condition. May we recognize that, yes, indeed, while we live here on this earth, we will go through trial and tribulation. We will go through those dark valleys. And yet, Lord, may we be able to sing, no matter how low the valley or how high the mountain, that we can glorify you and in glorifying you, we can experience fullness of joy. In Jesus' name I pray.